0: chapter four of the opal serpent by fergus hume this librivox recording is in the public domain the unforeseen paul did not go near the gwynne street shop for the next few days much as he wanted to do so being deeply in love he could hardly bear to be away from sylvia even for a few hours but in spite of this he remained away for two reasons the first of these was that he awaited a reply to his letter written to Mrs. Beecot, as he wished to be able to tell Aaron Norman where the brooch had been obtained. He thought by doing this to ingratiate himself with the old man, and perhaps, if thus confidential, might learn, for the satisfaction of his curiosity, why the sight of the brooch had produced such an effect on the pawnbroker. The other reason was that not having been able to sell the brooch, or rather pawn it, since he did not wish to lose it altogether, funds were running low, and now he had but a few shillings left. A call at the office of a penny weekly had resulted in the return of three stories as being too long and not the sort required. But the editor, in a hasty interview, admitted that he liked Paul's work and would give him three pounds for a tale written on certain lines likely to be popular with the public. Paul did not care to set forth another person's ideas, especially as these were old and very sensational. But as he required money, he set to work and labored to produce what would bring him in the cash. He made several attempts before he reached the editor's level, which was low rather than high, and succeeded in getting the tale accepted. With three golden pounds in his pocket and exultation in his heart, for every success seemed to bring him nearer to Sylvia, Paul returned to his aerial castle and found waiting for him the expected letter. It was written in a low-spirited sort of way, characteristic of Mrs. Beecot, but with a true motherly heart. After two pages, of lamentation over his absence and a description of how the head of the household managed to bear up against the affliction of his son's absence mrs beecot proceeded to explain about the brooch why do you ask me about that opal brooch my dear boy wrote mrs beecot in her scratchy handwriting all i know is that your father bought it out of a pawnbroker's shop in stowley which is some town in the midlands your father was traveling there, and saw the brooch by chance. As I always thought Opal's unlucky, he was anxious to make me see the folly of such a superstition. So he bought the brooch, and took it away with him. Afterwards, I believed, he received a letter from the pawnbroker, saying that his assistant had sold the brooch by mistake, that the time for redeeming it had not run out when your father bought it. The pawnbroker asked that the brooch might be returned. AND WANTED TO PAY BACK THE MONEY. BUT YOU KNOW WHAT YOUR FATHER IS. HE REFUSED AT ONCE TO GIVE BACK THE brooch AND INSISTED ON MY WEARING IT. I HAD A BAD FALL WHILE WEARING IT, AND THEN WAS THROWN OUT OF THAT HIGH DOG CART YOUR FATHER WOULD INSIST ON DRIVING. I AM SURE THE brooch OR THE STONES IS UNLUCKY, AND, AS AFTER A TIME YOUR FATHER FORGOT ALL ABOUT IT, I LET IT LIE IN MY JEWEL CASE for years i had not worn it and as i think it is unlucky and as you need money my darling boy i hope you will sell it there is no need to pawn it as you say i never want to see the brooch again but regarding your health etc etc so mrs beecot wrote in her verbose style and with some errors of grammar paul saw in her simple tale fresh evidence of his father's tyranny since he made his wife wear gems she detested and were superstitiously set against possessing them. The dog-cart episode Paul remembered very well. Mr. Beecot, in his amiable way, had no patience with his wife's nerves, and never lost an opportunity of placing her in unpleasant positions, whereby she might be, what he called, hardened. Paul sighed to think of his mother's position as he folded up the letter. She had a bad time with the truculent husband she had married, and I can't believe she became his wife of her own free will, thought Paul. Probably the governor bullied her into it in his own sweet way. However, there was nothing in the letter to explain Norman's faint. It was certainly strange that the pawnbroker, from whom the brooch had been originally purchased, should have demanded it back and the excuse given seems rather a weak one. However, Paul did not waste time in thinking over this, but resolved to tell Aaron what his mother had said. He had received two letters from Sylvia, mentioning, amongst other things, that her father, now quite well, was asking after Paul and urging him to come and see him. "'My father appears to have a fancy for you,' wrote Sylvia. "'So if you are very nice,' as nice as you can be, perhaps he won't be very angry if you tell him we are engaged. There was much more to that same effect, which Paul thought good advice, and he intended to adopt the same. It was necessary that he should tell Aaron of his love if things were to be conducted in a straightforward and honorable manner, and Paul had no desire to conduct them otherwise. Having made up his mind to see Aaron again, paul bethought himself of Graxton hay that gentleman had never appeared again at the bloomsbury garret and had never even written but paul was anxious that hay whom he regarded as a clever man of the world should see the old man and as our transatlantic cousins say size him up norman's manner and queer life puzzled paul not a little not being very worldly himself he was anxious to have the advice of his old school friend, who seemed desirous of doing him a good turn. Witness his desire to buy the brooch so that Paul might be supplied with money. So Beecot wrote to Graxton Hay at his Camden Hill chamber and told him he intended to go to Gwynne Street on a certain day at a certain time. To this Graxton responded by saying that he was at Paul's service and would come especially as he wanted to see Dulcinea of Gwynne Street. Paul laughed at the phrase. I suppose Graxton thinks I am very quixotic, he thought, coming to London to tilt with the windmills of the press. But Don Quixote was wise in spite of his apparent madness. And Graxton will recognize my wisdom when he sees my Dulcinea, bless her. Hm. I wonder if Hay could pacify my father and make him look more kindly on my ambitions. Graxton is a clever fellow, and a thoroughly good chap. So? Here Paul paused to think. The incident of the working man, and the warning he had been given about Hay, recurred to his mind. Also the phrase, man on the market, stuck in his memory. Why should Graxton Hay be called so, and what did the phrase mean? Paul had never heard it before. Moreover, from certain indications, Beecot did not think that the individual with a bag of tools was a working man. He rather appeared to be a person got up to play the part. The fellow watching them both and accosting Paul alone certainly seemed a doubtful character. Beecot regretted that he had been so short with the man, else he might have learned why he had acted in this way. The story of the little Bill was absurd for if Graxton owed the man money the man himself would certainly have known the name and address of his creditor altogether the incident puzzled paul almost as much as that of aaron's fainting and he resolved to question Graxton. but it never crossed his mind that hay was anything else but what he appeared to be a man about town with a sufficient income to live upon comfortably had paul doubted he would never have asked Graxton to go with him to Gwynne Street, however he had done so, and the appointment was made, so there was no more to be said. The man about town duly made his appearance to the very minute. I always keep appointments, he explained, when Paul congratulated him on his punctuality. There's nothing annoys me so much as to be kept waiting, so I invariably practice what I preach. Well, Paul, and how is Dulcinea of Gwynne Street? "'She is very well,' replied Paul, who was still a young enough lover to blush. "'But I have not seen her since we last met. "'I waited for a letter from my mother about the brooch, "'so that I might explain to Aaron how she got it. "'The old man has been asking about me.' "'Oh, confound the brooch,' said Graxton in his cool manner. "'I don't want to hear about it. "'Let us talk of Dulcinea. "'Rather let us talk of yourself,' said Paul.' Not an interesting subject, replied Hay, rising, as Paul opened his garret door for departure. You know all about me. No, I don't know why you are called a man on the market. Hay flushed and turned sharply. What do you mean? he asked, in a particularly quiet tone. I don't know what I do mean, said Paul. Do you remember that working man with a bag of tools who was across the road when we last conversed? no said hay staring i never noticed creatures of that class why because he asked me who you were and where you lived it seems you owe him some money that is very probable said hay equably i owe most people money if this man has a debt against me he would certainly know all about me as to address and name so i thought replied paul but the queer thing is that he told me to take care and called you a man on the market. What does it mean? I never heard the phrase before." "'I have,' said Hay, proceeding calmly down the somewhat steep stairs. A man on the market means one who wants to marry, and is eligible for any heiress who comes along with a sufficient rent-roll. But why should a fellow like that talk the shibboleth of society?' Paul shrugged his shoulders. "'I can't say. Perhaps the man guessed I intended to take you to see Sylvia and warned me against you, as it seems from his phrase that you wish to marry. Ah, then your Dulcinea isn't heiress, said Hay, fixing his eyeglass carefully. If so, you needn't fear me. I'm almost engaged and won't be on the market any longer. What confounded cheek this fellow's addressing you in that way and talking of me as he did i suppose he added with a cold laugh it is not necessary for me to defend myself what rubbish replied beecot good-naturedly all the same it is strange that the man should have spoken to me as he did i told him to go to the devil and go to the devil he assuredly will if i beat him was the dry reply i'll break his head for not minding his own business i think i can explain and will do so as soon as you take that telegram, the lad is holding out for you." Graxton was quicker-sighted than Paul. For the moment they arrived at the bottom of the stairs, and were about to emerge into the street, he saw the messenger. "'Do you know if any gent of that name lives here, Governor asked the boy, holding out the buff-colored envelope. Beecot, to his surprise, saw his own name. "'Who can be wiring to me?' he said, taking the telegram. "'Wait, boy, there may be an answer,' and he skimmed through the lines. "'Don't sell the brooch, but send it back,' read Paul, puzzled. "'Your father angry, mother.' He paused and looked at the boy. "'Got a form?' he asked. "'The lad produced one and a stumpy pencil. "'With these materials, Beecot wrote a reply, "'saying the brooch would be returned on the morrow.' "'When the boy went away with the answer,' Paul felt in his breast pocket, and took out the old blue case. "'I've a good mind to send it now,' he said aloud. "'What's that?' asked Hay, who was yawning at the door. "'No bad news, I hope. "'It's about that brooch again.' Hay laughed. "'Upon my word, it seems to you, what the monster was to Frankenstein,' said he. "'Send it back to Mrs. Beecot, I presume, and have done with it cast a glance at the case i see you have it with you he ended lightly yes said paul and replacing the case in his pocket went down the street with his friend then he determined to ask his opinion and related the gist of mrs b Cox's letter and now the mater wishes to have it back he said i expect my father has found out that she sent it to me and is furious I'll well, send it back and have done with it,' said Hay, impatiently. "'You are in danger of becoming a bore with that brooch, Beecot. "'I'll lend you money if you like.' "'No, thanks. I have three pounds honestly earned. "'However, we'll speak no more of the brooch. "'I'll send it back this very day. "'Tell me,' he linked his arm within that of his friend. "'Tell me of that man.' "'The man of the working creature?' said Hay, absently. Poo. The man was no more a working man than I am. Well, I thought myself he was a bit of a fraud. Detectives never do make up well, said Graxton calmly. Paul stopped as they turned into Oxford Street. What? Was the man a detective? I think so, from your description of his conversation. The fact is, I'm in love with a lady who is married. We have behaved quite well, and no one can say a word against us. "'but her husband is a beast and wants a divorce. "'I have suspected for some time that he is having me watched. "'Thanks to you, Paul, I am now sure. "'So perhaps you will understand why the man warned you against me "'and talked of my being a man on the market.' "'I see,' said Paul hesitatingly. "'But don't get into trouble, hey?' "'Oh, I'm all right, and I don't intend to do anything dishonorable, "'if that is what you mean.' It's the husband's fault, not mine. By the way, can you describe the fellow? Yes, he had red hair and a red beard, rather a ruddy face, and walked with a limp. All put on, said Hay contemptuously. Probably the limp was affected, the beard false, the hair a wig, and the face rouged. Very clumsy indeed. I dare say he'll appear pale and gentlemanly the next time he watches me i know the tricks of these fellows the two friends talked for some time about this episode and then branched off into other subjects hay described the married lady he adored and paul rebuked him for entertaining such a passion it is not right hay said he positively you can't respect a woman who runs away from her husband she hasn't run away yet sir galahad laughed Graxton. By Jove, you are an innocent! If that means respecting the institution of marriage, and adoring women as angels, I hope I'll remain an innocent." Oh, women are angels, of course, said Hay, as they walked down Gwynne Street. It's a stock phrase in love-making. But there are angels of two sort, Dulcinea is... Here we are, interrupted Paul quickly. Somehow it irritated him to hear this hardened sinner speak of Sylvia and he began to think that Graxton Hay had deteriorated. Not that he was considered to be particularly good at Torrington School. In fact, Paul remembered that he had been thoroughly disliked. However, he had no time to go into the matter. For at this moment Aaron appeared at the door of the shop. He stepped out onto the pavement as Paul approached. Come in, he said. I want to see you, privately, he added, casting a frightened look at Hay in that case i'll leave you said graxton disengaging his arm from paul dulcinea must wait for another occasion go in and do your business i'll wait without paul thanked his friend by a look and went into the shop with the old man that brooch said aaron in a timid whisper have you got it give it to me quick quick there was no one in the shop as bart had apparently gone out on an errand the door leading to the stairs down which Sylvia had so often descended, was closed, and no one was about to overhear their conversation. "'I have the brooch,' said Paul. "But, "'Give it to me, give it,' panted Aaron. "'I'll buy it at a large price. Ask what you want.' "'Why are you so eager to get it?' demanded Beecot, astonished. "'That's my business,' said Norman, in a suddenly imperious manner. "'I want it. The stone takes my fancy,' he ended weakly. "'Was that why you fainted?' asked Paul, suspiciously. "'No,' the man grew white and leaned against the counter, breathing heavily. "'Where did you get the brooch?' he asked, trying to keep himself calm, but with a visible effort. "'I got it from my mother, and she received it from my father.' Beecot, becot, said the old man, fingering his lips, much agitated. "'I know no one of that name save yourself.' And you are not a spy, a scoundrel, a, uh, a. Uh. He caught the eyes of Paul, fixed on him in amazement, and suddenly changed his tone. Excuse me, but the brooch reminds me of trouble. You have seen it before? Yes, that is no, don't ask me. He clutched at his throat, as though he felt choked. I can't talk of it, I dare daren't. How did your father get it? More and more astonished, Paul explained. Aaron listened with his one eye very bright, and made uneasy motions with his lean hands as the young man spoke. When Beecot ended, he bit his nails. "'Yes, yes,' he murmured to himself. "'It would be asked for back, but it shan't go back. I want it. Sell it to me, Mr. Beecot.' "'I'm sorry I can't,' replied Paul, good-naturedly. "'But my mother wired that it was to be returned.' My father has discovered that she sent it to me and is not pleased. Did you tell your mother you had shown it to me? No, there was no need. God bless you, breathed the man, pulling out a crimson handkerchief. Of course there was no need, he tittered, nervously. It doesn't do to talk of pawning things. Not respectable, huh? Huh? He wiped his face and passed his tongue over his white lips. Well you won't sell it to me i can't but i'll ask my mother if she will no no don't do that say nothing say nothing i don't want the brooch i never saw the brooch what brooch pooh pooh don't talk to me of the brooch and so he babbled on mr norman said beecot gravely what is the story connected with the brooch aaron flung up his hands and backed towards the counter no, no, don't ask me. What do you mean? I know no story of a brooch. What brooch? I never saw one. I never. Ah. He broke off in relief as two pale-faced, spectacled girls entered the shop. Customers. What is it, ladies? How can I serve you? And he bustled away behind the counter, giving all his attention to the customers, yet not without a sidelong look in the direction of the perplexed Paul. That young gentleman, finding it impossible to get further speech with Aaron, and suspecting from his manner that all was not right, left the shop. He determined to take the brooch to Wargrove himself, and to ask his mother about it. Then he could learn why she wanted it back, if not from her, then from his father. This knowledge might explain the mystery. "'Did you sell the brooch?' asked Raxton, as they walked up Wind Street no i have to send it back to my mother and-hold on cried hay stumbling orange peel. ah his stumble knocked paul into the middle of the road a motor car was coming down swiftly before hay could realize what had taken place paul was under the wheels of the machine end of chapter four